Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are going to be doing uh, a continuation of a show that we did a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's, we're calling it a self-serving topic here. CFP Superman is the name we're going to go through. Uh, different types of advisors and different types of advice that people might need. And, you know, we're going to talk specifically about the uh, the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation, which both Mike and I hold. Uh, and we'll walk through some uh, some different scenarios and, and talk about when you might need uh, this advisor, that advisor, accountants, insurance folks, investment professionals. Uh, and, of course, sitting in the middle, uh, as we like to consider ourselves, is, uh, is the CFP. So... Anyone has any questions out there, you can give us a ring. The telephone number is 978-454-4980. Again, that's 978-454-4980. We'll get rolling in earnest here in just a minute. Justin, uh, my son, like are you there? Are you? Is that? I'll be still my heart. Are you here? I, I am. I think I'm linked up to the world. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you speaking via phone or via microphone down there? <laughs> uh, we're, we're doing the phone here. We uh, we tried that technology stuff, and we can yeah. do money, but not much on the technology side. So we'll maybe get that squared away in the next week or two. So, folks, if uh, we apologize for being on phones, but uh, it was Plan C and the only one we've got for the show here this morning. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, we need we need at least a couple. Of, every time you change locations, we need a couple of weeks to get our. Uh, 
uh, get our technology act together, don't we? I, I, I just don't get some of this stuff, but hey, you know, gladly we know people who do. So uh, at some point we will be back in the real world and be able to actually go into a studio for these shows, and that'll that'll be a nice change of pace, won't it? Uh, it will. It will. Okay, so I, between running between rooms and offices here, uh, I'm not sure if you got squared away about what we're going to talk about. So shall yeah. I begin or? I, you know what I did. I, so, so I said, uh, you know, our, our topic for the day, obviously, uh, we're, we're calling it self-serving title, CFP Superman. Both you and I hold uh, the certified financial planner designation, and we're going to go through and, and talk about, you know, A, certified financial planners and uh, sort of advice in general and uh, professionals in general. But we will uh, we will touch on other types of, uh, of, advice, of advice and advisors as well, uh, certainly uh, accountants attorneys, tax professionals, all that, all, all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I did set the stage and, uh, again, callers, uh, telephone numbers, nine, seven, eight, four, five, four, four, nine, eight, zero. If you're listening in the Merrimack Valley today, uh, and if you would like to submit a question, uh, you can go to, you can go to McNamara on money.com or email us questions at McNamara on money.com. So. But hopefully they won't be that shy, and we'll just pick up the telephone and say hello. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so. Okay. So how's how's your quarantine going? You're, you got uh, how, many, you how know, many days uh, you got left? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I believe I'm eight days into my 14 day quarantine with your mother right. here in Marshfield, and uh, <laughs> well, it is what it is. <laughs> Uh, okay, so folks, here's uh, so just kind of a quick little couple of words to get us started. So we had a show previous to this uh, that basically said that every, you know people out there listening to us need some combination of advisors, uh, financial and legal. Okay, so that's you know for most people out there, the world is just way too complicated to keep up with a whole bunch of things, uh, and, and and the lineup. Uh, of people that might be in your life, and this again depends on your expertise and whether you do your own taxes or stuff like that. But you know, a tax preparer, accountant would be one person on your potential team. Uh, a, a legal person or an attorney. Attorneys do lots of things, but many of the things attorneys do have to do with money and finance. So that's number two. Uh, number three uh, would be an insurance person, and actually a combination of insurance persons because you have many different kinds of insurance, and it's pretty rare to have one insurance person be able to do all that stuff for you. So I'm talking about life insurance and disability insurance and home insurance and fire insurance and a whole bunch of other, and car insurance and stuff like that. So so a tax preparer, preferably an accountant for if your life is complicated, uh, a, a, an attorney, okay, probably some combination of insurance folks, okay, and then just to prevent confusion, I'm going to say, an investment advisor, okay. okay, and then I'm going to use a financial planner, okay, okay? And, and that's, folks, so everybody out there listening to us, uh, that's probably the list, and there, again, maybe some of you folks listening to us do some of your own things and don't, don't work with all those people, but that's probably a, the combination of folks that you need to kind of get you squared away through all kinds of aspects of your financial life. Okay, uh, and the, the the theme here, the overlying theme is that, okay, uh, and we're biased as heck, there's no question about that, but, but we think that 
everybody ought to have uh, a, a certified financial planner uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, the, the first reason is that financial planners do some things that almost none of your other advisors can do or not do as well. Uh, and, and secondly, uh, certified financial planners, because they've been schooled in many areas, they have the ability to talk and work with all of your other financial advisors. And some, you know, we often pick up in meetings with clients and prospects things that say, you know, you really should go see your, a tax person on this issue or that issue. So, so uh, you know, as an old high school quarterback from a long time ago, you, you need a quarterback to kind of coordinate your team of financial advisors. Or, by the way, if you get a, a recommendation from your insurance person, you might want somebody to bounce that off who can speak in insurance and, and doesn't have any biases other than giving you the best advice possible. So, so let me go through the list once, and then we'll kind of go to the next part about this. So the potential list of folks in everybody's life uh, would be a tax preparer. Okay, it, There would be an attorney. There would be probably multiple insurance types folks, okay, an investment advisor, and a certified financial planner. Okay, so far, my son, and want to add to that? Or are we good? Sure. Yeah. In, 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 you know, I, just, I want to be clear that, um, you know, we do live in a world where you will have people who wear more than one of these hats, right? It's, it's not, you know, you know, we can talk about whether or not that's, you know, quote unquote, good or bad. But, you know, we sir, I think I think both you and I know folks who are, you know, an estate planning attorney who, uh, you know, who goes to and gets the certified financial planner designation and and also manages investments. And all of a sudden that person is wearing, three, you know, three of those hats, right? They're, they're yeah. doing retirement planning. They're doing estate planning, uh, and they're doing you know, investments as well. Uh, and so it's not necessarily always uh, an individual person, but we think we sh you probably want someone to give you advice in all of those areas competently. Yeah. And, okay? and we could get into some. Yeah, that's okay. But you know, my, my point is, uh, if you can do one thing well in life, do it and pay everybody else for everything else. So I, I would be a little suspicious of folks who do more than one or two things, and you know, like womb to tomb shopping for financial for financial world, folks. Uh, you know, everybody has a certain amount of brain capacity, and the things we have to know as certified financial planners, you know, you kind of get a headache. Uh, so, so yeah. The, but but the point is, that's the list. Okay, and, and the theme here, which will kind of bounce back and forth, is that, that uh, the, the certified financial planner, first of all, uh, he or she is a second opinion on any advice that you may get from your other advisors. Now, we're not attorneys, but we talk attorney language, and we're quite familiar with financial stuff in our world that attorneys need to worry about sort of a thing. So, so number one, you get a second opinion from an unbiased biased person about whatever kind of advice you're getting from whoever. By the way, I guess I could throw a mortgage guy into that equation as well from time to sure. time. Okay, uh, and it's just nice to be able to pick up the telephone and say, hey, my insurance guy is suggesting this. What do you think about that? Okay, and, and again, certified financial planners, at least the piece of paper we have has says that we're pretty knowledgeable about a lot of different areas of finance, not experts in probably any of them, but we can talk the language of pretty much anybody else that's on your team, and it's just always a great idea to have a second opinion. 
By the way, the, the other uh, function that a certified financial planner uh, could serve, and, and by the way, most of the rest of this show kind of gets to that point is, well, you know, uh, I, I know that I go to my accountant because he does my taxes or he tries to save me tax deductions, but, but there are things that happen in your life that, that may require the services or advice of somebody in your financial team, but you might not know that you should be going there. Okay, we, we bump across numerous situations, by the way, we'll go through a list of them here in the show, where, you know, people are going to do this, and we say, you know, did you ever think about uh, talking to your attorney about that? Because here's why you might want to sort of thing. So, so um, another function that, that financial planners serve is, remember folks, they kind of have a big oversight of your whole financial life, okay? And they might pick up on some situations and meeting and talking with you where they would say, you know, you ought to go see this guy, the insurance or this lady, uh, the, the, the investment advisor, uh, even though you might not be aware that you need to do that. So th- those are kind of the functions, besides being smart people and help you coordinate all your life, those are the kinds of functions that, that CFPs uh, do. And, and, you know, this is a, an emerging profession Profession, and there's still a lot of confusion about titles. All right, so yeah. one more time on the list, and then I'm going to kind of dive into some details, okay? Um, tax preparer, attorney, probably multiple insurance uh, types, investment advisor, perhaps a mortgage person, and a certified financial planner. And, and that's probably the, the biggest your team would get for most of the folks listening to the show. And for a lot of folks, there you may you know only have three or four of those kind of depending on your circumstances. Okay, so here's what's going to happen for the rest of this show. Okay, uh, we're going to spend some time on, well, I'll start off with, uh, uh, I, I guess, accountants or tax people. Uh, there's, there's, there's a variety of different designations in the tax preparer world, uh, you know, from certified, uh, from certified public accountant to enrolled agent, and I'm sure there are some other designations for tax preparers. And, and, you know, we're going to spend some time this morning giving you some issues in your life where you might want to talk to a tax person, but you might not have known that, okay, given the circumstances, and you can maybe get yourself in some tax trouble if you didn't know that you probably should have ran that by your tax person. So I, I, I think the, I, I call this kind of uh, unique reasons or reasons that folks probably many folks listening to us wouldn't be aware of where they should go visit one of their financial team. And I think I'll start off with uh, tax persons, accountants, CPAs. Those are kinds of the words uh, that I'll use interchangeably. Uh, am I you know doing what, okay what, so, Mark? You know, before, before we go into that, why, you know, because we're going to be spending so much time uh, on advisors and, and I think we're going to, you know, we're going to be coming back to the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner, uh, a bunch of times, obviously, in this uh, in this program, why don't we why don't we at least talk about a bit about the CFP and, and you know kind of set the stage? I'm not sure everyone knows exactly what that is. I know you know the CPA. Most people, if you say CPA, virtually everybody knows what that what that yeah. uh, is and what it, yeah. what it means. I'm not sure the same can be said for CFP. So you know why don't we just spend a bit of time? Uh, I have the CFP's website up here. Uh, if anyone if anyone would like to go and, and do some research on it. Um, 
the website is cfp.net. That's not, not cfp.com, cfp.net. Again, it stands for Certified Financial Planner. And I'll just, you know, I, I think I'll go over just a bit about, you know, what the, uh, what the curriculum is and what the requirements are, because I think it does set the stage and it's going to, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll connect a lot of dots with the rest of the show. Um, that's okay with you. You good with that? You know, Justin, I, I'm just thinking you, you get smarter every day. That's the kind of stuff I would give you a dope slap and say, hey, you need to explain that to our people That's before right. we, we gotta, move on. We gotta, sort of a thing. So I, I'm feeling a little that. older now and unwiser, but you're spot on, so carry the ball. Uh, all right, so, so the financial, I'm, I'm, I just pulled up, uh, again, it's cfp.net if anyone wants to take a look. Uh, it, it's a certified financial planner designation. So you know the, the way that you qualify is, one, you take a series of courses, uh, either online or in person, and uh, and then you have to have three years worth of experience working in the field, and you also need to pass a test uh, that covers all of your coursework. And that's you know so that's how you qualify. I'll go into a bit more detail here in a minute, but uh, it's a it's a fairly rigorous program. Uh, it, you know, it's not there are some there are certainly some designations out there that we're not too keen on and excited about, based on the fact that you can get them you know studying for a couple of weeks. Right. This is, this, that's, that is not uh, what the CFP is. Uh, there are seven different courses that you are required to take. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I did, I think, uh, one or two per semester when I did it. So it took me, you know, a couple of years to get through the whole program. Um, but, you know, they are, so there's an intro course, uh, which sort of sets the stage for everything. Uh, financial planning risk management is the names of one of the courses. Financial planning investments is the second course. Tax planning is the third. Retirement planning and employee benefits is the fourth. And then there's an estate planning course and there's a couple of capstone courses that, you, that you're required to go through. So that's the course list. And, and, and again, it's, it's essentially, it's, it's almost like learning a little bit about a bunch of other advisors' jobs, right? I mean, there's an estate planning course where you're doing, you know, you're, you're not getting a full estate planning education the way an attorney would, uh, but what you're doing is you're learning, you know, as much about that as, as is necessary for a CFP and, and someone who's not, uh, not it's kind of a broad-based knowledge of a certain area, and enough knowledge to maybe pick on something, pick up on something that you don't know about, and you say, you know, you, you might want to go see your attorney about this or your tax person. So yeah, it's a pretty broad range of the like. Would you say the big picture? You okay with that, Justin? I would say the, the big, big picture. picture. Yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah. You know, not that's not to say that it's not a detailed look at, at things. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's there's a lot of detail in there. The you know the the test is is fairly difficult, right? There's like a there's a 66% pass rate, I think, in the most recent that that was the first time uh, for first time test takers. So it's a, you know, it's, it's a fairly grueling test and there's a ton of detail on it, but it's just, again, not, you know, we're not suggesting that the average CFP uh, knows as much about tax uh, situations as a CPA does. That, but that's, not, not by any stretch. And, yeah, and, certainly and not by the case, way. But, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was done. Uh, the, the um, you know, you know, and again, we we know enough 
to make sure that most of the folks we're talking with are okay on, on whatever they're up to, but we also know enough to say, okay, time to do this. And, and one other thing uh, about, you know, every year we have certain amounts of education we have to, to, to come up with to yep. satisfy our requirements. So there's some ongoing education. Uh, but Adam, did you know that there's no ongoing education requirements for attorneys in Massachusetts? Is that right? I, I, I do not believe there are. Okay, I, I, I've been wrong before, but I do not believe there are. You know, your brother was an attorney, and, and uh, I'm pretty sure I heard that from him. Uh, but, but anyway, you know, well, the, all the I attorneys can say write is, the laws, so they can just, you know, they just said, hey, we don't want any, any continuing. Well, yeah, that's right. Most of them, most of the politicians are attorneys, so whatever. But anyway, so, so A, CFPs have been through a pretty rigorous, broad-based, and somewhat narrow-based area of many financial sections, uh, and we're required to keep up with our knowledge over a course of, a, you know, of the years and the years in the business. And between yeah. that and, and every day in the trenches meeting with dozens and dozens of people over the course of a year, you know, you build up this uh, experience base and hopefully get smarter and help your clients better, folks. So, so it, you know, from my point of view, I'm just going to use – if you have a financial advisor, and, and, and I'll, we'll get disagreements from many other folks in different industries, but I'm sorry, you're, you're the only advisor that I think you should call your financial advisor as your financial planner. You can have an investment advisor, okay? Yep. Uh, but again, I'm biased as heck, and I'm sure there are a bunch of folks who will disagree with that. But anyway, that's the rules that we're going to set on this show, okay? You're, the, the folks who coordinate your entire financial picture, okay, the only ones that are qualified and certified and experienced to do that, okay, that they have a CFP designation. I call that the gold standard for financial advice, okay? Okay. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's obviously there's five different units uh, of of sort of specific coursework that it's specific to you know kind of one part. Like there's a tax situation, that, you know, there's a tax course, there's an, there's an estate planning course, uh, obviously investments and then retirement planning and all that stuff. So you know, there's there's five of those, but but a couple of the courses are literally just designed to help you bring it all together and, and work together. And I think we're going to spend a lot of time today, you know, talking about situations. Uh, where you may need a certain type of advisor, but also where you would want to have someone else uh, to kind of put that in the context of the rest of your life. I mean, I, I know that this happens all the time to us where we'll, you know, we'll yeah. get one piece of advice from one advisor uh, and then, you know, we're, we're sort of in the, in the middle saying, okay, yes, that, that's, that's a great tax strategy, but uh, you may also want to think about it, you know, from, you know, from a retirement planning point of view or from, you know, from a, from a spending point of view, there's, there's, there's all sorts of other stuff that goes along with each one of, uh, each one of these specific uh, courses and items that we, that you want to, you want to put into context. And that's a lot of what the training is, is, is kind of putting everything all together and being that quarterback. Yeah. You know, and, and as a quick example, which might just take it to, to the break, if I string this out long enough. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, this is an example that I, a discussion I had yesterday talking with some folks. Okay, yep. we have okay, we have some folks. Uh, they want to. They're retired. Uh, they want to do probably twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars worth of uh, um, repairs or upgrades to their home, uh, and because of their situation, they wanted to plan to borrow the money and pay it back over a certain period of time. Well, if you go talk to a mortgage 
person and say, can you help me out? They're going to say, sure. And they're going to show you a variety of strategies to accomplish that situation, and they'll do a very good job of it. Uh, What they won't talk to you about is you might be able to solve this problem with a home equity line of credit because they don't get paid for recommending home equity lines of credit. So in this example, and this is, I had this discussion yesterday afternoon with some, some really nice folks who are a couple of characters who you know, uh, and, and basically said, what do we do? I said, well, you know, the, the, you have a couple of possibilities. You can, you can do a home equity line of credit, okay, uh, and if you can pay it off in three or four or five years, or six maybe, then that's probably the best way to do it, uh, be, because if you fold $20,000 of repairs, into a 30-year loan, you pay a heck of a lot more, okay, than you would have if you could have paid it off, okay, in that short period of time. On the other hand, if they just didn't have the ability, okay, to, to pay it off in four or five years, but really wanted to, to do it, then in that case, uh, probably a longer-term mortgage, which they'll never pay off, but they can live with the mortgage payment, all, all of that stuff works. Uh, yeah. And they, they really, you know, they had no clue about how to think about that, but if they just went to a mortgage person, they might not have gotten the best solution sort of a thing. So so we CFPs occasionally disagree or give you an alternative suggestion based on what some of your advisors are, and that one's a perfect one. By the way, in the end, I said to those folks, go check out both of them, and we can crunch some numbers and do some math for you, and you can figure it out best what you want to do sort of a thing. So independent, uh, you know, kind of knowledgeable and kind of coordinating would be the best way to say that. Okay? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it looks like we're right up on twelve thirty here. So, did I do that perfectly or what? Bingo! Let's go. And I am alongside via phone today, Mike McNamara, who's uh, who's back from Florida and in quarantine for the next uh, for the next six days here, but. Uh, we're going to do uh, we're going to do this show for you. We're calling CFP Superman on this Memorial Day weekend. You still there, Mikey? Yeah, and we don't we certainly don't have any biases, right? <laughs> no, yeah, not at all. <laughs> yeah, Happy Memorial Day, everyone. I sort of I, I kind of for, I kind of forgot that this was all happening. Everything just every day seems like it's uh, it's exactly the same as the one before. So uh, yeah, so to everyone out there, Happy Memorial Day. Hope everyone's staying safe and. And uh, it looks like some people are, are traveling a bit here. Our, our neighborhood is, uh, is certainly emptier than it was uh, yesterday, today. So um, hoping everyone's getting out there and, and enjoying themselves in a safe way. So, uh, anyway. far, I would, so far, I would call 2020 the year that wasn't so far. Yeah, I know. Holy cow, you know? <laughs> um, anyways, uh, we're live here in the Merrimack Valley today. Anyone who has a question... Uh, about uh, about you know CFPs advisors or advice uh, or anything else you'd like to chat about, give us a ring. Telephone number is nine seven eight four five four four nine eight zero. Pardon my barking dogs. I am here. At home. <laughs> uh, and uh, or if you'd like to submit a question, questions at McNamaraonMoney.com, or you can head over to McNamaraonMoney.com and submit a question there. Folks, we 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 love talking with each other, but we'd love to have a caller or two. We're we're very polite, Uh, you know. We uh, we speak English and uh, hopefully not too scary. So uh, pick up that telephone nine seven eight four five four four nine eight zero. Okay, so here's kind of the rough plan, Josh. I I think this will work. So, okay, I want to talk about unique reasons to seek out a tax person or reasons you might not know about. 
I want to talk about unique reasons to visit an attorney or reasons you might not know about. And then I want to talk about unique reasons to see a certified financial planner. And uh, so there's a bunch of those. And then I want to give some examples of some conflicting advice. Uh, I told you very clearly earlier that certified financial planners can and do work, okay, and understand your other financial advisors, but there are times where we may have a disagreement, and by the way, both be right. You know, your attorney could recommend this, and it'll be a great legal move, and it might be a terrible financial move. So so we, uh, we are able to give people a different perspective on some things that they do. And by the way, it's quite possible 98% of the time the accountants or the attorneys are correct and we're correct. And you have to make a choice about, you know, which is the best thing to do, knowing that, you know, you can't, causing, uh, solving one problem could create another that you didn't even think about unless you had somebody to talk to about that. So we're the people you talk to when you have a financial question. And I guess the best way to say that. So what what I think we can do here, Jess, okay, is going to try to spend this half hour on tax tax reasons, uh, the the, uh, the 11 o'clock hour, the next hour on uh, legal reasons, and then kind of finish up the batting order with with the CFP. I, I, I think that might work. On the other hand, I could probably spend the rest of the show just on one of those areas. But let's, let's kind of head through that list and see how far we get then, okay? Okay. All right. So, folks, you just had an inheritance and a pretty big one. Okay. Uh, after you, you know, or, or you won the lottery. Uh, so right after you call your spouse or family, uh, you you probably want to go have a sit down with your tax preparer because a there are some things you might need to do, and b there are some trouble that you could get into, kind of given the circumstances. Uh, if the inheritance is from a deceased family member, you know your your last surviving parent has passed on, and you've come into ownership of maybe a part of a house with some other brothers and sisters, or there are some financial assets out there. Some of them might be in in retirement plans. Some of them might not. Uh, If you have an inheritance, there may or may not be some tax consequences that you do or you don't know about. And by the way, even if there aren't some tax consequences, there, there may be some things you have to do that you may or may not know about in terms of title registrations and other odds and ends. So, you know, uh, an inheritance is a very good, and forget the lottery, because not everybody wins the lottery huge, but, you know, most folks would hopefully get an inheritance from their family members uh, at some point. Justin, you, you have a yeah, big one coming. Just, exactly. I just want you to know. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so you, you want to pick out any examples of uh, some, some of those that, that might cause concern or problem? Yeah. I mean, I think there are on the inheritance side, we get this question a fair amount. And, and, you know, this is one where we're we have a pretty good idea of the tax consequence. But you certainly want to uh, visit with with a tax person to to get it all clear. Um, You know, inheritances are not are generally not taxable to the inheritor. So you know, I think a lot of folks, when they're coming into money, right, if you're, if, if you normally, when you get the money, a lot of times, you know, in most people's lives, it's taxable, right? You're talking about, um, you know, for most people, it's their paycheck, or maybe it's a, you know, a social security payment. 
Uh, most times when you're getting money, it is in fact taxable, but an inheritance, it's not the case that that transfer is taxable. Now there may well be, you know, there, there are certainly potentially taxes at the state level, right? So there, you know, there, there are, you know, so-called uh, death taxes, right? So there, there are state taxes and the estate may owe taxes um, but you, as the inheritor, are not responsible for those, right? And you, so you're well, you you hope you're not, and you hope that whoever settled the estate did pay the taxes. But <laughs> but that's always a question, right? <laughs> everything is all done correctly. And, yeah, yep. And, and, the, and, the, and by the way, an accountant would pick that up. Uh, okay. Another part of an inheritance uh, is that if it came the normal way through a will and the probate courts, that's like one set of things. But if you inherited some assets through a trust, by the way, there are some different things that can happen there. <laughs> and I can assure you that 98% of the folks listening to us who had that inheritance probably didn't know about it. Uh, and, and so just an inheritance is a good reason to chit-chat uh, with your accountant, uh, give him or her a heads up or a tax person, uh, and just ask, you know, what are the things I should worry about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and just so, you know, just to go over them, I think we can probably run through them briefly, right? So if, if you're inheriting, let's say, cash or, uh, you know, again, this is assuming that all of the uh, all the estate sort of liquidation stuff went uh, to plan and, and all the taxes and all the uh, you know, all the liabilities are paid off. If you're inheriting an asset like, say, a, you know, a, ba- a bank account or a CD, then you are really not talking about any any tax consequence, right? I mean, if it's if it's in uh, if, it, if it flows to you not in an IRA account, um, then you're it's not going to be a taxable event because there's no you know there's no appreciated cost basis. It's just it's just money, and you get a step up and step up in that cost basis, and you're not talking about taxes. Now there are other potential issues if you inherit an IRA account. The I you know that. The, the actual transfer into your name is not a taxable event, but the distributions that may be required from that IRA will be taxable, or, or at least are, you know, assuming it's a traditional IRA. It, it, it's it's and, complicated. You know, we need bigger yeah. government and more laws, Josh, right? We need to do yeah. that, yeah. And then, and then, as you mentioned before, you, you may also, if, if, if a trust was involved, you may inherit an asset that has a cost basis that you know that does not receive a, a step up in basis. So you know you you in theory could inherit a property and maybe it's worth five hundred thousand um, dollars. You know if you sold that, there may well be a gain associated with that, depending on how the transfer was made. So you know there, there's you know it's, it's sort of relatively simple to say, oh yeah, there's no taxes on an inheritance. But once you get into the details of exactly what you are inheriting. And exactly, uh, you know how it was transferred to you. Uh, there are all kinds of things you want to watch out for and make sure you have your ducks in a row. You know, mostly it's for, for the most part, it's you're looking forward and and the future tax issues. Uh, but you certainly want to get them uh, get them set because you you know if you you don't think of, you know you don't you don't like uh no one likes to get an un <laughs> an unanticipated tax bill. For, I, I get nervous uh, on taxes all the time personally. By the way, folks, if you're listening to us and don't know what cost basis is oh, or yeah. step up in basis means, all the more reason to go see that accountant when you get the inheritance. <laughs> we won't bother to explain. Just we'll just make them nervous a little bit. You know. There you okay. Go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next next reason that you probably should go visit with your tax preparer is making a large gift, okay? Uh, Folks, usually parents, 
make financial gifts to their kids a whole bunch of times. Uh, and if it's a, a large gift, I don't know what the number is these days. What somewhere around fourteen or fifteen thousand dollars in any given year, just I, I, I forget. Fifteen thousand. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, right. but I can double it, check. Yeah, don't even bother. Okay, all the more reason to go see the tax person. We don't have to spend your time doing that. But the bottom line is, if you're planning on giving somewhere north of $15,000 to one of your uh, relatives, usually your kids, you you may want to have a discussion with your tax person uh, about doing that and how to do that or what are the pluses and minuses. Uh, the, the short story is that it might have an impact uh, on Massachusetts estate taxes, if you are indeed subject to one of those, uh, yeah. and you know that that gift and that number is probably one of the most confusing things ever in the tax world for most folks. So, if you're making a large gift, just have a powwow, okay, with your accountant. And by the way, you might want to call that certified financial planner for an opinion about that as well. Okay. And the, yeah, uh, in, in that case, uh, and, and also attorney as well. I mean, uh, you know, a lot yep. of gifting yep. is done sort of at the recommendation of an estate planning attorney. Again, you know, to, to try to avoid uh, estate taxes, although it's less and less common these days. But um, yeah, you, you certainly should probably get someone uh, involved. Yep. Yep. Okay. Another unique reason to visit your uh, CPA or certified financial, yes, certified public accountant or your tax preparer, uh, is that you're selling your primary residence. Okay. Now, for the vast majority of folks listening to us, if you bought your home and sold your home and buy another one, you probably don't have a tax. But not not everybody fits fits that category, uh, and and so just just a kind of a heads up about how that works. And again, I'm referring to your primary residence. So right now, what's a two? You want to very quickly explain the 250 exclusion before I hop on to the next one, just that all right? Yeah, sure. Uh, so every, you know, every person is entitled to a $250,000 exclusion from capital gains when you're selling your primary residence, right? So if you if you purchased, let's just say you're a single person, if you purchased your home for $250,000 and you then sold it for anywhere up to $500,000, you do not pay a capital gain on, you do not pay taxes on that gain, right? So yep. when, when you buy a traditional investment, let's say you buy, let's say you buy a stock, if your stock appreciates, you know, if your stock doubles in value from two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to five hundred, and you sold it, you would most certainly be paying taxes on that. That's a taxable tra- transaction, and whatever tax, uh, you know, wh- whatever tax rate would apply, depending on how long you, what, what type of property was it, and how long, uh, and how long you held it. Uh, but in the case of a primary residence, you get that exclusion. It's two fifty per spouse. So, for a married couple, it's up to five hundred thousand. Yeah, and folks, by the way, if you've been in your home for a very long time, like maybe it's only the first or second home you've ever owned and there's a large gain, and by the way, if one of the spouses passed away during that time, run, don't walk to talk with your tax person because there are some adjustments to make and you may indeed have a gain on that sale kind of depending on the circumstances, okay? Um, Another reason connected to selling your primary residence, okay, is that, well, geez, let's see. I just did the math, and I think I have like $50,000. I ha- you know, I have to pay taxes on $50,000 of gain. Well, there's an IRS-approved list 
of improvements to your home where you could add those costs to the cost of your home and maybe avoid some taxes. And so if you do end up having a tax gain on your primary residence for whatever reason, okay, uh, there may be some ways to legally make that smaller or go away depending upon if you added a garage or a, a sunroom or a bunch of other odds and ends. But I- anything along those lines, hello, tax person. Okay, okay, and I move on, Justin. For folks who are a ways away from selling their house, right? I mean, if you're if you're in say my phase of life where I where I'm uh, sort of where I, I own a home and I'm continually you know updating it and upgrading it, keep track of all that stuff. Uh, you know, write it down, keep a keep a centralized spreadsheet, or or you know keep all of your receipts and all that good stuff because it could come in handy, right? It seems you know it seems like a you know, it seems like five hundred thousand dollars in appreciation is you know is is a long way away. But you know, if we're talking about forty years from now, uh, you you want every dollar that you can to add to your cost basis because you could be selling it for a bunch. You know, who knows? My, you know, your home could be worth two million dollars when you sell it, uh, even if you bought it for five hundred. And by the way, smile when you pay the taxes. That's what I'd say. But anyway, moving along. Okay. Uh, by the way, don't if say you that, have, I don't see you smiling on taxes. Yeah, you got a point there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Selling an investment property. Run. Don't walk to your tax person. By the way, if you have an investment property, you probably know what depreciation is. The long story, but the bottom line is, you know, here's an example. Oh, I'm I'm going to set up a home office in my home. Okay. By the way, there may be a lot of that going on lately, just right, or coming yeah. in the future. Uh, and oh, I can deduct some of the costs and expenses of setting up a home office in my home. I'm, I'm going to get going with that. Well, folks, the, the short story is, okay, you, you never avoid paying taxes in the IRS. You just kind of get it at the end as opposed to the beginning. So if you do establish a home office and depreciate it, which means save some tax dollars now, I can assure you that it'll get caught up later when you sell your home. You should know that. You should talk with your CPA about whether or not that's worth doing it or whether you wish to, to perform that. Okay. And, and then the other thing is, you know, we, we have folks who, you know, buying our, an investment property is a terrific tax deal because I can save all kinds of taxes. Well, every time you save taxes on your home, your investment property, you just lowered how much you, in effect, paid for it. You know, if you bought an investment property for $300,000, and if you depreciated it and had, say, $200,000 of tax savings, when you go to sell that $300,000 property, the IRS is going to sell, say, it costs you $100,000, and you have have to add all those tax savings back in and catch up with it at the end. So anybody with an investment property needs to understand depreciation. Anybody with a home office needs to understand that. That is a tax discussion. And, you know, you pay them now, you pay them later. And as long as you know both and make a decision, then that's what you do. All right with that, Jeff? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that, that's... You, you can talk to certainly your tax advisor about, you know, what the potential tax ramifications are. You can also talk to potentially, you know, someone like a CFP or, or your tax professional about, you know, hey, I really want to sell this property. I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I'm sick of it or I think it's probably appreciated as much as it possibly, ha- you know, it's going to. 
um, uh, when I want to sell it, what can I do? What can I do with the money? Is there a way I can avoid paying all these taxes? Right. I mean, there's, there are things called 1031 exchanges when you can, you know, sell one property and move your cost basis into another property without uh, paying taxes. And, and you know, that's the kind of thing that you'll also want to know. So talk to, you know, hopefully talk to your, your advisor in advance and, uh, and not after it's all gone, you know, and not, not after it's all said and done, right? You there, don't want to sell there, your property. There you go. And, 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 and by the way, your accountant the, tax time and they say, oh, hey, you know, you could have rolled yeah. this into another property. And, and yeah, not and by the way, if you did that fancy 1031 exchange, which may be a perfectly appropriate thing to do, uh, by the way, m- maybe, you know, on the other side, you still own a property, you still have risk with the renters, you know, maybe you pay the taxes, take less money and invest it more safely okay you know who knows okay so different sides to every financial equation folks and you know talk with somebody that can give you the other point of view as well all right selling a vacation home if you have a vacation home okay and you're selling it okay uh you you probably need to talk with your tax person especially if you choose to rent it out once in a while to cover some of your costs okay um you know, with with uh, tax, uh, you know, when they, I don't even know whether the deductions from a mortgage or a vacation home count anymore with the ten thousand dollar exclusion. Just do you know, or uh, I, I don't even know that. You know what? That's how you got to talk to your. You got to talk there, to your. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, if you have a vacation home and you just bought one and sold one, well, that's. Uh, you should still talk to your tax person. But if you have a vacation home and you're renting it, hello, tax person. Okay, because you need to understand what's going on there. Okay. Different, different uh, classification. Okay. Of, you know, if you're. If it's primarily a you know if it's primarily a vacation home or if it's primarily a rental that you use for vacation, there's there are different classifications of uh, of those types of property, and you want to know which which box you're in because that's going to affect your tax situation. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, I, and I thought of uh, one other thing here, Josh. So so uh, we occasionally run across some folks who own a second home that they're going to make their retirement home. Okay, uh, and so they they have a home, say in Massachusetts, and they're going to buy a retirement home in say South Carolina. Okay, uh, and so they they're, they're going to let's see. Oh well, I have this Massachusetts home; it's my primary residence. Okay, I'm going to sell it. Okay, and then live in my uh, my other residence. Well, there are some uh, residence requirements about how long you have to live in a home to sell that at the primary residence as a primary residence and avoid that that $500,000 uh, taxable gain sort of a thing. So the timing of when, when you know, if you moved into your South Carolina home for, and, and lived there for four years before you sold your Massachusetts home, you're going to pay a tax based on legal residence requirements. So if you have a, a primary residence and a vacation home that's going to be t- become your retirement home, run, don't walk to your tax person to understand when you might have to do that and what the timing is of all those circumstances. We say that probably about once every other year, I think, just, but a big one, right? You betcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, do, right. we, do we want to go in? I mean, it's, it's basically three to five year, you know, three out of five years. Uh, you have to have used it as your primary for two out of out of five years. And so you can, you just want to make sure, but you, right, but you have to have, make sure that you're, a resident, you know, the right amount, the right time, amount of time for the year. And there's all kinds of, uh, all kinds of details that you want to get right. But the big picture is two out of five years as your primary will qualify you. 
Yes, you better get the timing right, or you don't want any of those bad surprises. Okay, and then we're coming. Let's see. We always answer questions for clients, and then say, "Yeah, this is the answer, but you should you should double check because we." Yeah, you know, we, but it depends. Okay. Right. Uh, anyway, so let's see. So, so the the reasons I just went over are for you know pretty much a whole lot of different folks. But by the way, if you own any kind of a business. <laughs> you should your, your uh, accountant should be on your speed dial. I know my accountant's phone number by heart. I don't have to even look at my speed <laughs> my speed <laughs> dial. Okay, uh, so, so if you own a business, uh, by the way, and you're starting one, there are certain things that you need to do legally. We'll tell you to go visit an, an attorney in a few moments. But from a tax point of view, you know how you in what format you establish your business well you know for legal reasons you might want to do it this way and for tax reasons you might want to do it that way and by the way your accountant and your attorney both of whom you should visit if you happen to be starting a business they may have some different opinions about what you should do and you may have to choose you know on on the one hand legally being protected may be your most important consideration well you might not have as much of a tax advantage or vice versa but absolutely positively if you're starting a business okay you should visit with with an accountant and understand all the implications, as well as an attorney. Okay. Uh, also, on that score, okay, uh, if you're going to sell your business, oh my gosh, you're an account, you, you need probably everybody on your financial team to, to go out and do that. But uh, complicated, you know, uh, agreements, tax consequences, all kinds of stuff going on. So if you do indeed plan on selling your business, an accountant or a tax person is absolutely positively on that list of people. By the way, and Justin's point is, engage them at the beginning, engage them along the way, and engage them at the end, uh, because, you know, the government changes tax laws every four years, basically, and, and you've got to keep up with this stuff, and most people don't, don't have the time to do that. So, so starting, uh, selling, and, oh, by the way, losing a business. Uh, we unfortunately, by the way, uh, did you see that Hertz just filed for bankruptcy, my son? What's that? Hertz just filed for bankruptcy. Oh, yes. I thought you said the church. No, okay, yeah. Nope, okay. Nope. Uh, okay. No, yeah. So, by the way, there's going to be a bunch of companies, unfortunately, in this country, and unfortunately, many of them small. They're going to be losing their businesses or shutting down, uh, and, and there may be some tax consequences uh, to doing that uh, w one way or another. It's just a, it kind of depends on your circumstances. But selling your business, losing your business, starting a business, go talk to a CPA, preferably. Okay. And I would say, uh, you know, if, if, I, if I can, just on the business side of it, yeah. um, I don't know if we want to interject, uh, you know, certified financial planner stuff here. I know we're, t we're talking mostly on tax, but uh, if you're selling your business, or, you know, as, as a retirement, right? I mean, we, we will work with clients regularly who uh, may be retirement age and they own a small business and you know, they're looking to get out and retire. Uh, probably a visit with, a, with, your, uh, with your financial planner works there as well because there are different options of, you know, you know selling out in a lump sum or buyouts or, hey, what, you know, what if I just hung on to the business for a while and, and uh, you know, let somebody else run it and I take a salary. There, there are all kinds of um, options there as well. And I think you know, when we're doing retirement plans for clients who own small businesses, it's certainly difficult. And so you want to wrap everyone in and say, okay, well, what if he sells, you know, what if he sells the business for this amount of money and what are the tax consequences are going to be? Is that going to be enough 
to you know put in the portfolio to generate the income they need for the rest of their lives. I think I, I, I don't want to. I want to make sure that uh, financial planners on that list as well when it comes to business sale. But that financial planner, I'm sorry. But thank you for that. Just should be on every and every meet. Anyway, two more quickly before the break. If, if a death of a spouse, there are tax consequences. There is a home reset for cost basis. Uh, there are, are cost basis resets for taxable assets. Uh, there's a, a number of things that have to be done upon the death of a spouse. And last but not least, and Justin, I'm going to let you explain this, but a, a Roth conversion in a low tax year. You've got about 40 seconds. Go for it. <laughs> um, so if, if, uh, for, the, for folks who are in a low tax year, right? let's say you're normally in the, the 32% tax bracket, and for whatever reason, you know, you have a, a recession or you're, you know, you're self-employed and you have a, a very low year, you may drop down to the 12% tax bracket. That's, a, that's an opportunity to take some money out of your IRA, pay taxes at what for you. Oh, I didn't make it. Anyway, <laughs> I'll finish it up on the other side of the break. All righty. 